No, I think the key though is is would, should, ought, but we don't. from the dead <laughs> and Karen hey yeah we do have Tracy back Tracy's you'll I think you'll hear it in his voice that he's feeling better um, I'll leave it to Tracy if he wants to tell you what he's been going through but um but we're just glad to have Tracy back with us today thank you thank you yeah we've been we've been sitting here talking <laughs> putting off recording just talking about our uh oh all the all the different little fun things we have in our lives and uh, just here recently, just talking about the way people love to uh, love to tell us how to do our our, our professions, and it's uh, you know it, it's a lot of fun to have people tell you that, and you're like, oh, thank you, I I I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so um, uh, you know, we we probably won't. Well, obviously, we won't be doing that to you today because that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about the Bible, and we are going to be talking specifically today about. Chap, uh, Isaiah 33 through 37. I decided to add chapter 37 to the reading uh, on after I had said through 36 last week. It's because it seemed like a little better place to end, a little more satisfying, and you'll see why when we get there. So we have been talking about uh, the book of Isaiah for a while now, and we're going to be talking about Isaiah for a while to go uh, because it's a it's a pretty big book and it's a pretty dense book. And um, you've got to remember how that context is all working with Isaiah, where uh, Israel and Judah split apart. And Israel is that northern kingdom that had all that succession of bad kings. Judah is the southern kingdom who's doing slightly better, but not, I wouldn't say awesome. And uh, But there's been all kinds of warnings we've been reading primarily from Isaiah, but we've been reading from other prophets as well that... Uh, that uh, there is some stuff coming down the river that um, is not going to be awesome, specifically for Israel. And uh, Judah is not going to be totally left out of it either, because there needs to be some corrections made. And so Isaiah 33 starts with a, the title of it in my Bible is A Prayer in Deep Distress. And it's an interesting beginning. It starts out, woe to you who plunder, though you have not been plundered. It's like a it's like a reproach on people who are I don't know we, I, I guess we've talked a lot about how how Israel and I don't remember if this is specifically to Israel but but uh, at, at any rate like people have been looking for reasons to cheat each other and here it's like uh, you know you haven't had any reason for doing what you're doing but you are actively just seeking to take stuff that's not yours to to like go to your neighbor and just just take stuff it's like man i want it so i'm gonna take it and this is like well woe to you for that because uh that's but not isn't the, the way of the world though yeah unfortunately following the pattern of the world that that they told that they were going to fall into that if they wanted to go down that path they were going to follow follow fall into that scenario and i think that's they're just continuing to do that yeah well, yeah, and it's weird because it, at that time, I mean, I think we see it maybe on a, 
we see it on a more personal scale. I shouldn't say a smaller scale, but maybe a more personal scale. Because I think if you remember, there was uh, there was a text we read. It was quite a while ago, but it was like at such a such a time of year when kings went to war. And David's story. Like, yeah, that was David. Yeah, yeah. And, and do you remember? I mean, the only reason that they would do that would be to go conquer land, take resources, you know, just be like, well, this, it's time. Let's go. Uh, and, uh, and you know, here I think it's like God's kind of had a feel of that, though it never, it never has stopped, never has, uh, who knows if it ever will, as long as this world is the way it is. But doing it unprovoked sound is sounding to me here like it's making it a worse offense than if you were retaliating. Not that that would be good either, but when you're just like, I like the thing that that guy has, he doesn't mean I don't, he doesn't know me and I don't know him, but... I'm gonna go take. I'm gonna go take the shiny thing because I like the looks of it, and uh, kind of being told, no, 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 that makes it worse. And guess what? The same thing is gonna happen to you. Who are we talking to about here, by the way? Because verse three now it goes into says, when you lift yourself up, the nations shall be scattered. Um, like politics are gonna be swept away. Conflicts over resources are gonna be a thing of the past. And we're being reminded that God is supreme. Oh, let's talk it to God. My gosh, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, about? it starts in verse two. Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. At the uproar of your army, the peoples flee. When you mm-hmm. rise up, the nations scatter. Yeah, so we're talking. Yeah, this is this is talking to God specifically. Understanding that when... God makes himself known and rises up that all this stuff, all this stuff that we're worrying about now, it's going to be a thing of the past. All of the the politics, all of those conflicts, those, you know, like we're just talking about the plundering, just walking in and, you know, constantly having to be worried about protecting your stuff. That's going to be a thing of the past. If you think about the industries that will no longer exist after Christ's return, things like security systems locks you know law enforcement Thank all God. those things so we go on oh, i'm we ready go. i'm ready you know people people ask me you know being an electrician they ask me about things like these ring doorbells and things like that that won't that won't be a that won't be a thing anymore yeah i think what you're what we're getting into right here in the first three verses and well actually down to five and six is the, the core of, of 33 to 37 is who are you going to trust? And God is asking in, in uh, chapter 33, verse 2, hey, lean on me, you know, be, be the strength, which is a direct contrast to chapter 31 and how that starts. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, rely on horses, who trust in chariots because there are many and horsemen, but don't look to the Lord. This is God saying, hey, I will be, in verse 6, the stability of your times. And this, uh, all the way through 37, we will see that the challenge for Hezekiah and his people is, who are you going to make your deal with? Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust and wait for God? Or are you going to settle for what you can see and hear in the contemporary world that offers you peace. That's just kind of a theme that goes through the whole thing. Verse 10 stood out to me here, and I was trying to decide how how I would take this if I were to hear this, because it's 
it seems like it's God here saying, mm-hmm. it says, now I will rise. Now I will be exalted. Now I will lift myself up. How do you take that when you hear that? When And maybe it depends on what side you're on, huh? Because, yep. um, you know, do, do you see this as daunting? Do you see this as awe-inspiring? Definitely seems like a wake-up call. But if God, you know, if, if God is like, well, here I come. All of a sudden, I get I get you know images of a, as a kid playing hide and seek, and well, ready or not, here I come. It's like, well, <laughs> are you ready or are you not? You know, and, and well, maybe and, and in, the, in the verse after that, he compares the effectiveness of what he's going to do with the effectiveness of what the humans are doing. You conceive chaff, you give birth to straw, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we do have a we do have an amazing, incredible contrast. We've said on this podcast as we're studying, especially these Old Testament prophecies, that understanding specifically Revelation without the insight of um, you know Isaiah and Hosea and Amos and Obadiah is is a challenging or difficult thing because we're talking about some of the same things, and Isaiah here kind of slips in and out of what might be talking about uh, the Assyrians and the people of Judah right then and there in that time, uh, well before the time of Christ. And it has application to us today, who are we going to trust? And it has overtones of end of times stuff. And where it slips in and out of that and where it applies exactly, I'm not here to tell you exactly all of those, but check this out in, in verse 12. And the people will be as if burned to lime, like mm. thorns cut down that are burned in the fire. I mean, there's nothing there. Then they burn hot and they burn. I had a fire last night outside because I love doing that on my porch. I got a fire pit, so don't be alarmed. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I threw some some weeds that, that had been growing in my yard in, in there to get rid of them. And man, do they burn bright. But then they're gone. They are just gone. And in verse 14, uh, God has something to say here about that. He said, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. And basically to Matt's question, it's like, yeah, if you're on the wrong side of this, you should be afraid. And here comes a really, really, really interesting thing. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Notice the fire doesn't go out. It's who can live with it. And yeah. we just read earlier that not the wicked, they're they're burned as if to lime. I mean, there's nothing left of them. The question is literally in 14, who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who can dwell with everlasting burnings? That's question. 15, answer. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightless, despises the gain of oppressions, shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, stops his ears from hearing bloodshed, and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. He, she, humans. Okay. His defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. This, I heard somebody mention something in a a message that they were doing, and it stuck with me. I want to share it with you guys. Who burns forever? God. And who dwells in his presence? The righteous. The righteous. So this takes on a totally new light when we think about who's burning forever. Mm -hmm. It's the righteous. 
that burn forever. And when I first heard that, I was like, whoa, what? You, you look all through the Bible. When God shows up, he's like, no, I'm so bright, Moses. I know you want to see me, but if you saw me, you'd die. And he is so bright that God shields Moses's face with his hand, and Moses kind of sees the backside of him, and Moses is so lit up, he glows for I don't know how long. He glows for so long, he freaks everyone in the camp out, right? He has to actually hide under a, a veil. A yeah. veil, right? Yeah. And in, in Revelation, God is he's a, he's a consuming fire. He doesn't stop being a consuming fire. It's just that when when wickedness is gone from us, we can exist in his presence. The wicked can not exist in his presence because he is right here. He is a consuming fire. And that's just who he is. And the righteous live with that, basically burning forever, but not in that burning of the hellfire sense of things, right? It, it, so to me, it put a totally new light on that as to God, he is. He's light and, 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 and power and energy and he is a consuming fire. You just read Revelation. Every time he shows up, it's like there's a river of like fire flowing from him and all this stuff, right? That's who God is, and that's who he will continue to be. But to those who have been purified by the grace that he offers through Jesus' sacrifice, that isn't consuming to them. But to everyone else, yeah, they're they're gone. They're burned to lime. So it continues on there in 33. It's, um starts talking about the land of the majestic king. And uh, I think this is obvious, or at least it's obvious to me. It seems like we're talking about like the eternal kingdom of God. You know, it says your eyes will see the king in his beauty. And that's an awesome promise for us, as well as the people of the time. But for us, too, this idea that we're going to see the king. I mean, see him with our eyes, just like you were talking about where Moses uh you know, Moses wanted to, and God was like, no, it would kill you. And, but uh, but now we're kind of being given this promise that, no, it's going to be, you're, you're going to see him. And it goes on, about, you're not going to see a fierce people. And starts talking about fierce people and people that you can't understand. You know, we're not going to have to worry about, we're not going to have to worry about these invaders. We're not going to have to worry about, you know, people walking in and, and, and wanting to harm us and, and uh, you know, steal our goods and, and this sort of thing. Well, but there was also, there were a couple of verses there that seemed like they were talking about like 17, your eyes will see the king in his beauty, like you said. But then in 18, it starts, it again, it starts drawing the contrast. Like in your thoughts, you will ponder the former terror. Where is that chief officer? Where is the one who took the revenue? Where is the officer in charge of the towers? You will see mm -hmm. those arrogant people no more, yeah. right? So in all of the human systems that we're used to, are going to go away when God is in charge. There will be zero need for them. Humans need government. We know this. Human mm -hmm. government is flawed. We also know this. When God shows back up, you know, there will be no corruption. The people will not have to be on guard because they will know that their governor is pure, has their best interests at heart, is not corrupted, and they can just relax. Those former terrors won't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, it's it's hard to even imagine something like that. You know, I, know. I mean, I know there's there's a lot of people who would just love to not ha basically not have any government and just let let us as human beings 
just sort of govern ourselves. You know, we kind of think, oh, everything will work out. Everything will be fine. I think we've seen that verse in what was it in like Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and stuff like and every man did according (laughs) to the wishes of his own heart. Didn't that like result in like bad things? Yeah. Book of Judges full of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it it is interesting, you know, I mean, it's like it's like we have this understanding in our hearts that we ought to be able to function without a central government. And I'm talking about a worldly human government. We ought to be able to just treat each other well. We ought to be able to, you know, in our trade, we ought to be fair all the time. That should even itself out. Uh But we constantly find that human beings are selfish. We think about ourselves first. We, We tend to be ready to screw the other guy if we get the chance. Or maybe not so much, maybe not so much if we get the chance, but maybe... It's more of a get them before they get me sort of thing, you know, and so that's, you know, we still seem to need we recognize also that need for 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 government. But that makes verses like this almost hard to fathom just the idea that, yeah, 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 we're not going to have that anymore. None of that is going to exist anymore. And what in the world will that be like? And and I think there's, I mean, for me, there's a huge relief in that. Like, man, I get on social media and people are taking jabs at each other. And it seems like 60, 70% of the time it's it's politically based. And it's just like, it's just so gross, you know, the mm-hmm. ideals, like what you were just describing. Like we have these ideals that humans should be able to. And mm-hmm. if we could just if we could just give them the freedom or the resources or the, the you know, whatevers, whatever they need, then humans would finally rise to the occasion and be great. And and for anybody who's even read part of the Bible, we just know that's not true. Yep. It is a great ideal. And here on earth with our flawed natures, it's not going to happen. And I am so sick of it. Like, I'm just like, where's the cloud in the east? I want that little cloud. Jesus, come get me. I don't like it here. Yeah. You know, I think the key, though, is is would, should, ought, but we don't. Don't. Yeah. And I think everybody has a preconceived notion that, you know what? We can do this better or we can get this done. <laughs> and I think if you look at just like we've been going through here, we go through our Bible or even if you're a history buff, you see that that's never worked out yeah and it will continue not to work out right yeah but but that idea that we can do it right if we just had a better system if we just had our resources organized if we just put you know this here so that these people you know like all of the different ideas is how our earthly government is structured and it's the things that we fight about and it's the things that people's individual perspectives look at and they look at it and they they identify differences. Like, you're not like me. Your goals aren't the same. Well, I would disagree with that. I think most of our goals are actually the same. Our ideas about how to go about those goals are different. But those human ideals, those are the right thing. Those things that everybody wishes could be true, those are the right thing. It just isn't going to happen here. If we're not motivated selfishly, and that's... Right. That's the key. That's problem is that we're reading through Isaiah here and other places is that unfortunately we as as humans in our present condition and in this present kingdom are operating selfishly and we we 
yeah, we do have this, uh, actually, ultimately, unless we're surrendered to God, we do have the same goals, and that is me first. Um, unfortunately, when I put me first, that means you second, and that's, we we all have that, and we've, I've been thinking about that this week, is this idea, as we read through this, and we'll, we'll see a real shift um, as we hit chapter 35, and then 36, it gets real and practical, same with 37 in, in the historical story, is that who do we lean on? Who are we, um, who are we hoping to, to rescue us? And I think in a, you know, we mentioned politically is I think all of us participate in, in the political process um, and, and vote our conscience. But the problem that God is dealing with here is not people doing their conscience, in fact, they're not, is that they're voting their confidence. In other words, they're saying, if only X, Y, Z was in charge, then that would be okay. And God is saying, no, no, no. If your confidence is in anything other than me, it will not work out. That doesn't mean you don't participate. It doesn't mean you don't try things. Right. You know, Hezekiah is going to get surrounded here by Sennacherib, and they do practical things to deal with what's happening. They go out and stop up the springs. They, you know, close the gates. They do, they do practical things. But ultimately, who are you going to, in whom will you put your confidence? Mm-hmm. And God keeps saying, it's me. It's not Egypt. It's not the Assyrians. It's not the Babylonians. It's not your horses. It's not your, it's me. And we see that invitation over and over as, as we roll forward here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the the chapter is kind of it kind of ends with a with a, with an up note. It's like look upon Zion. I think and here again. I think this is talking about it's talking a little bit about right then. It's like you're going to see some good things happen, but I think this seems to me to be more of an end time thing. Like look upon Zion, you you will see Jerusalem. You'll see a tabernacle that will not be taken down. We're going to get to a point where we're going to understand, or maybe we already understand, the tabernacle we're talking about is Jesus. Yes. You know, it's it's yep. us going to meet Jesus. This is where mankind and Jesus come together and they collaborate together. So that's what that won't be taken down. Did they understand that at that point? I don't know. But uh, it was on the Lord is our judge. He's our lawgiver. He's our king. And he will save us. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is being this is being uh, uh, told to the the people at the time. God is going to save them. It's also being told to us. It's God that will save us. So just like like we've been saying here right now, it's not the worldly earthly powers. It's not the governments. It's not the form of government. It's not capitalism versus socialism. It's not Hillary versus Trump or or Biden, you know, or whoever. It's none of that. If you're putting your like Eric was saying. You're putting your trust in them. Your trust is in the wrong place. Put your trust on God and let the world, you know, do what it's going to do, yeah. essentially. Well, and, so, and one of the themes that kind of stood out for me in this week's reading is that sometimes it appears that he, human will is taking its course. Yeah. But then, then other times God opens his mouth and says, no. Actually, I allowed you to do that for my own reasons. And now now I'm going to allow you to do only this. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. I'm actually in charge. Yep. Right. Right. 
So as we get into then uh, chapter 34, it's it's pretty interesting. Here's uh, verse two. It says the indignation of the Lord is against all nations. Now, think of this at a time when especially at a time when the Israelites thought, oh, hey, we are the chosen nation. We are the chosen people. We are the ones that God has been sustaining. And, and you know, we are special because we're the children of, of uh, Abraham. Yeah. And, um, you know, Jesus later on tells him, well, hey, you know, that big deal. And it's kind of what's being said here is like, no, this is uh, this is against you guys, too. There is no human government that can claim exclusive favor with God. And, you know, we've we, we, we've seen that. Uh, you know, back then in the Bible, we've seen that here recently. All the it, says is filthy rags. Yeah, you know, and it and it it I find it so baffling. People thinking that oh, you know, my political party is on the side of God. Like, uh, no, it's not. Your political party is on your political party side. I don't care which one it is. You know, um, but this uh, this idea that well, if I'm in the right party, then I'm on the side of God. Well. Mm, um, not, not if you're, <laughs> not that, if all your hopes are on that party. Is yes. that like big sporting events where each team prays for God to help them win at the beginning? And then whichever team wins is obviously the one that team that God was rooting for. Is it like yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. It is funny how, how we, we, we want to put our, uh, our values onto God, you know, here in Colorado, there's a, a funny little thing you'll see bumper stickers sometimes you know it's like if god's not a broncos fan then why are sunsets blue and orange you know like, oh my god it's got nothing to do with it okay I'm <laughs> that's weird <laughs> what we're what we're reading into here and as we get to 36 and 37 we see it come out very literally we have two well people groups you could say political because they're just different groups both saying no, we're God is on our side. Mm-hmm. They're both saying this, and so to us today, as we're reading this, as you're listening to this, is instead of concerning yourself primarily with what side contemporarily do I identify myself with, and that can be uh, denominational, political, um, you, you name it, you could plug just about anything you want to in there. But God is calling us to keep our eyes on him first and to look to him first. And I believe that that call to do that is first and foremost through the Bible and through prayer rather than through the commentary of others, um, including us. It's you need to seek God yourself and listen for his voice. And he, he wants a relationship and he wants to be the one that you that you rely on that you turn to that you look to first then he'll help us sort out the rest of things yeah mm-hmm. i think it's kind of what we started out with though when we i don't i don't know if this made the recording or maybe this was in our little pre uh pre-day conversation but it's how diligently are you going to study for yourself how are you going to dig into the scriptures how are you going to read the bible or are you going to rely on google or are you going to rely on Facebook or um, some of the other social media platforms? It's like, how how much are you going to seek that truth and apply that to your your daily life? And I think that's where we're at right now. And, you know, I tell my youngest one this. I was like, 
so many things have changed over the the last few decades and we can remember when we were in school you had to put put in the work if you were going to research something what did you do you had to make the the effort to go sit in the library and to dig it out manually and go find it everything wasn't at um at your fingertips literally like it is today yeah. but i can still see my youngest one complaining Oh, are you serious? I have to go look for that? You don't have to go any farther than swiveling the chair and getting back on the keyboard. Right. <laughs> you know, and I think it's, we've made it such an ease, and I think it's to the point where we're just depending on others mm-hmm. to do the work. Yep. And if we want that that close relationship with God, then we need to put in the work. How How diligent are you going to be in pursuing God? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is a it's a it's a it's a great question and and I you know I think it's pretty prevalent in in our even amongst our, our Christian friends these days and our you know our fellow church members and whatnot it's like are 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 you spending any time in your Bible at all are you you know or are you just coming to church and expecting to be preached to and I'm, and, I'm telling you like the human human divide is so inflammatory like we it puts us into reaction mode and it takes us out of thinking and thinking and discerning and waiting for god's guidance mode and it that that gets difficult and similar to what's going on in isaiah what we have conflicting experts like find an opinion and then go find, you know, find an expert to agree with you. And then you're right, you know, and that's basically what happens here. It's like Sennacherib shows up, he's speaking Hebrew and he says, you know, to the field commanders and to all the Israelites that are sitting around on the wall, like I'm here at God's bidding. Would I have come over here to attack you? If God didn't tell me to come and attack you, mm-hmm. I'm here to attack you and I have God's blessing. And he just says it flat out, and he makes sure to say it in their in their local language so that they understand. And he yeah. straight up shows up and presents himself as doing their God's will. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. And we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, verse four, I found very interesting, and I want to I want to point this out. It says um, talks about the host of heaven will be dissolved. And the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll. And I'm thinking about that going, what in the world? The host of heaven dissolved. Because when I think of the host of heaven, I'm thinking of like all the angels, all the armies of all, all the armies of God. Like what what in the world would that mean? And so I have this, um, what do we call it? It's the cultural background study Bible. And it was saying that at that time, there were essentially three main Babylonian gods who were, they were like sky gods. There was um, Anu specifically, Enlil and Ea. And they thought that those gods were represented by the sky itself. So when God is telling them all this, I'm going to roll up the sky. This is like an act of judgment against those three main deities of the, of the, of that ancient world outside of that. So, you know, with where we're, we're talking about people, the Israelites who had been constantly seduced by this idolatry and whatnot. And now of course you've got all these surrounding countries that are like trying to come in and take over everything. And God is going, Mm-mm, nope, all that. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to roll all that up 
you know, and and uh, take it away. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting, the way that the people at that time, they might have re- read that verse and went, oh, wow, wow, this god is claiming to have, like, power over all these other gods. So, uh, yeah, as it rolls forward, it's, it's okay, you know, night, uh, this is this is God coming for us, this, you know, um, verse 8, for the Lord has a day of vengeance. Mm-hmm. And as it unrolls here, um, the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch. And of those of you who maybe don't know what that means is that um, I teach, I've taught some scouting classes and pitch is basically the dried sap or, or the slightly gooey sap of trees. And it burns once you light that stuff. I mean, it'll, it'll burn in the rain. Basically you just, you can't put that out. And so he's saying that the, 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 the streams will be turned to pitch. So you're, you're not going to put that fire out and her soil to sulfur and her land shall become burning pitch night and day. It shall not be quenched. It's smoke shall go up forever. Now it's interesting because we have this phrase smoke going up forever showing up in revelation a bunch of times. And we have a fire that can't be quenched shows up in Jude seven. I will point out though, that both in this Assyrian uh, time and in Jude 7, is that the fire won't be put out until it's done. Which doesn't mean it's never done. It just means it can't be put out until it's done. And we see down in verse 11 something really interesting. Uh, He shall stretch out the line of confusion over it. That is formlessness. And the book of uh, Jeremiah, as he prophesies about this, the same time, because remember, we got a bunch, a bunch of prophets. God keeps sending all these prophets to the people of Israel and Judah. They're all saying the same thing. Get your act together. Turn back to me or it's going to go very, 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 very badly. And in Jeremiah 4, 23, uh, I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void. Whoa, what does that remind you of? Yeah. Before before the creation story, or the it's beginning the second, of the creation story. It's the second yeah. chapter of the Bible, the second verse of the Bible. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is, again, I, I don't have an answer for us, but as we read through this, it's like, yeah, God's saying, I'll take care of these Assyrians. But this also, I mean, he's, he's rolling up the heavens. He's casting down the stars. He's the, the day of vengeance. The, your soil will be sulfur and the rivers will be pitch. And it will be without form and void. To me, this sounds like a little bit more foreshadowing than just dealing with Sennacherib. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of talk of just God's supremacy in general, and and uh, you know all and yeah, so all these all this all these things God is just showing that he he is dominant over all of it, absolutely. None of those things have any any power over over God here. Uh, now, verses eleven through fifteen, they start talking about how the land is. It's going to be desolate, and it's going to be taken over by all of these wild animals. You know, wild animals don't live in civilized areas. You don't get a lot of, you know, other than like some birds and stuff. But you you're not you know if you're in a place that's inhabited by a lot of people, you're in the neighborhoods. You're not generally going to going to see these uh, wild animals just, you know, going down the street. Not usually. If you do, it's a rarity. And here God is saying they, they're going to have all of it. They are going to take over the whole area. And that's significant because as we get into chapter 35, 
we see the flip side of that yes. where, it, where we get this imagery of abundance and beauty and all the described or all the land that was just described as being desolate in these last few chapters we've been reading is now being talked about as an example of this glorious beauty and all of this plenty and and it's going to be i don't know it sounds like maybe better than restored not just restored but better than and you're going to see the glory of god in the beauty of the land yeah and um it, it moves on it talks starts talking about the reassurance for those who are weak that god is coming to save them and it says with a vengeance god's coming to save them with a vengeance uh, if god's coming with a vengeance um uh, you, you might want to look out and that all of the oppressors and i think by the oppressors it's talking about human oppressors as well as satan are going to be dealt with uh, physical infirmities are going to be eliminated uh, there's going to be plenty of water and you think about this in the land that we're talking about here you know if you had to go dig a well to get your water you know here we're able to just basically turn on a tap and we've got plenty of rivers and um the county in the city that that uh, three of us now live in we're kind of known for uh the the amount of water that we have because our forefathers that that were setting up the city really did a good job of acquiring water rights but uh if we didn't have all of that then this sort of thing would would really stand out. If you're living in a desert and there's plenty of water, that's that's quite that's quite a statement. There's talk uh, verses eight and nine talks about this highway of holiness. So if you know we've talked about in the past, you know here's the path, walk in it. I, I all of a sudden here I'm kind of associating these two together. Now we're talking about a whole highway of holiness, but says there's not going to be any unclean people walking on this highway no one's going to get lost because it sounds to me like you know if you're if you're on it at this point it'll be pretty hard to get off of it uh there's not gonna be any beasts to attack you and essentially this is where the redeemed walk of course it's a it's a figurative imagery that we're talking about here but we can we can understand especially when we're talking about in the context of you know, God's leading and, and putting us on a pathway. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I think, and this is where I need to be cautious, is figuring out exactly, or should I be worried about figuring out exactly where this pertains to? Does this pertain to the people in Isaiah's day, or does this pertain to this or this? Personally, I look at this and say, how, what does this reveal about the character of God? Mm-hmm. What kind of relationship does he want with us? What future does he want for us? Now, that future, is that next year? Is that next decade? Is that when he comes to restore all things? Yes, yes, and yes. And how does that unfold? Don't know, don't know, and don't know. Um, (laughs) And when we try to paste our calendar onto this stuff, or we try to paste our geography onto this stuff, or our politics onto this stuff, it gets very weird because what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, oh, hey, God, I got a plan. I kind of want you to do this thing here at this time for these people. And I think that would be, um, for me, That's I, I feel that is dangerous ground. Because when we see this, you know, uh, chapter 35, uh, verses 5, 6, and uh, 7 there, we see, we see something interesting. 
For the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Oh, wow. That's Jesus in Luke 7, 22. So mm. here's, here is a very, it was the mission of the Messiah. And Jesus cites this kind of stuff when he's, you remember John's disciples come to see Jesus when John is in prison. And he says, like, are you the Messiah? Because we're kind of expecting somebody to overthrow the Romans here. And Jesus quotes things out of Isaiah saying, hey, this is one of these that I'm referencing. And people are like, oh, we misunderstood and had a political implication for that that you're telling us now is not the case. And so we have these interesting things that happen that are that are told to us. And I think we should look. Do they apply to specific times and places? Yes. But I think those are safer to see in retrospect than projecting forward. But I think that one of the things we can be sure of is that God is on the same theme. He wants to restore us. He wants us to give him our full allegiance um, because what he wants for us. And this is a super awesome thing. Verse 10, the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. You know, they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. When does that happen? I'm going to leave that to God's timing. But that's what God wants for us. You know, it's not the stern, I will punish you. It's like, yeah, okay, if you're not doing, if we're serving ourselves, yes, there's punishment headed, right? But what God wants for us is what we see in verse 10, which is joy and singing and gladness. That's what the character of God wants for us. I think it's that same blueprint, though, and we see that we've seen that many times along the way is that, you know what, there's that that warning, that foreshadowing of, listen, you know what, desolation is going to come, heartache, misery and everything. But you know what, in the end, if you put your trust in me, then you'll be on that path. Then you'll see full restoration. Well, and that's I mean, that's just the kind of the continuing message here is is get your get your. Get your dependence off of your own means. Get your dependence off of human means, and get your dependence on God, and 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 focus, focus on God. And you know, He's constant. He's always saying, "Just, just turn back to me. Just come back to me. Look to me. Ask me for help, and 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 turn to me." There's been a lot of theory, and then all of a sudden we hit chapter thirty-six, and it gets yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> and it yeah, it does. Now you talk about getting kind of mixed signals here sennacherib uh who is the king of assyria he sends uh this guy called and i'm probably gonna butcher this word but he called he's called the the rabshika rabshaka rabshika i don't know um rabshika is what i'm gonna call him to be kind of a messenger and he he comes and gives this message to them and the message kind of starts out you guys are your your trust in egypt is misplaced well now i say kind of a you know mixed signal here i mean isn't this exactly kind of what god has been telling them yeah. the whole time you know god has been saying you guys shouldn't be counting on egypt mm-hmm. and so now here comes assyria going hey you guys shouldn't be counting on egypt oh <laughs> uh, they can't help you now of course it's different messages because god is saying you shouldn't be counting on egypt because you should be counting on me 
And Assyria is saying, you shouldn't be counting on Egypt because we're going to come and, and uh, wipe things up anyway. But um, Hezekiah sends out this envoy to meet the Rabshakeh. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that right. See, uh, this is huge, though. It's huge because that's one of those, let's just call it like a superpower back in those days. Mm-hmm. That's one of those dominant cultures that it's like, hey, you know what? They're like a broken reed. Yeah. And it's like, that's that's huge for somebody to say that against a superpower at that point. That's just yeah. giving them the thing that you cannot trust any worldly power at this point. Yeah. I want to point this out, though. Except us. That's what the Rab Shekah uh, says. You can't trust anybody except me. And he goes on and he says all kinds of stuff about he, he challenges. And basically he's saying, hey, look, your king Hezekiah has said, oh, you should trust in God. And he's saying, no, you shouldn't. Because and he throws out all these things. And he says in verse 15, do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, Yahweh, by saying the Lord will deliver us. And then he just says, make your peace with me. And that's the crux. Verse 15 and 16, I think, is this worldly power saying, you can't trust your God the way you think you can. You need to trust me. You make a deal with me and things will go well with you. And I think that has been the call of anything that isn't God's way since the very beginning. No, trust me, not God. I mean, that goes way back to the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Serpent basically says, you can't really trust God. Real, can you? I mean, like totally, because what I'm what I'm telling you here is you got to trust me on this one. And, well, we know what happens there. And this is what the superpower who just says we're going to steamroll this other superpower, don't even think about them, is saying to Hezekiah and his people, you need to make your deal with me and hey, at least I'll um, I'll at least give you a place to live. And if you don't trust me, it's going to go so badly for you, you'll wish you had. It's a real, practical, actual challenge because their city of Jerusalem, the geographical city, no metaphor here, is surrounded by actual soldiers of Assyria, and they're saying, "You surrender to us, or we will beat you to a pulp." Let me back this up just a bit and look into verse seven. And I think this verse speaks to we've talked a lot about how there has been this mixture of of sort of the religions. Like, you know, we've talked about how um, they made these golden calves and said, nope, this is the God who took you out of out of Israel. And there's been uh out of Egypt, Egypt. Thank you. And here the Rabshakeh is saying you're trying to trust in God. But isn't this the God that Hezekiah has gone and taken down all the high places and the altars? Right. So all of this, this, I mean, look, look, there's only one altar where they were supposed to be going to make any sacrifices. There was only, they only had the one place, which was the tabernacle, the temple. That was the one place and it's still standing. But, but it's like the Assyrians now are saying, look, your king has been going and wiping out all these things of your God. It's like, you know what, Jerusalem has been, they've been misrepresenting God enough that the surrounding countries, it seems like, might be thinking that all of those high places and other places that all these things were happening were part of this central religion of Judah. And 
I guess, you know, that's kind of a message to us. Don't mix all this stuff together. Make sure that you are following what God has asked you to do because he wants to be represented in a particular way. He wants you to, he wants you to do these things. Um, and you can't mix them because when you mix them, you send us, uh, uh, you send mixed signals to the people who are watching you. And believe me, people are watching you to see how, how you are, are, um, are acting. And so I just thought that was interesting. I don't know if he was trying to misrepresent Hezekiah or if this was a literal understanding that they had where they thought that all of this other stuff that had got intermingled was, was part of, of, uh, this, this worship of God. Yeah, whichever way it was, he was saying, hey, all these other things that you say were working didn't work because all these other kings, they all had their gods. Where are those gods now? That kind of just sprinkles all throughout 36 and 37. Mm-hmm. The Rob Sheck is just saying, hey, I'm, those gods didn't do them any good. Your God's not going to do you any good. And it should be a little bit nerve wracking because, yeah, they're they're inside Jerusalem looking out and say those other gods hadn't really well they hadn't saved those other outlying communities from Assyria just steamrolling them and here comes Hezekiah saying no we're going to go back to the God of the temple to Yahweh and we're going to do it Yahweh's way and we're going to trust in him well unfortunately the people didn't have a lot of experience with that because they hadn't been doing that for very long and Mm -hmm. so they're in this kind of precarious place like oh do we trust this god like that we that we can't see we did take down all those altars we did burn all those asherah poles we did all that other stuff and is this god who you know is in the temple well how's that going to work out and they're headed for this showdown yeah now it's it's interesting too here that this envoy that hezekiah had sent as all this stuff is being spoken and karen spoke to this earlier how they go, uh, you know what, why don't you speak to us in Aramaic? Because we understand that rather than speaking in Hebrew so that all the people who are listening don't necessarily hear or don't necessarily understand. And I give a little credit to the Reb Sheka here because he's like, well, hey, uh, aren't they involved? This this concerns them, too. So, no, we're going to keep everything out in the open. It's an interesting little uh, thing of uh, people trying to kind of keep the truth uh hidden i guess so so to speak and then yeah and then the rub shake is like don't don't let hezekiah deceive you don't believe when he says that god's going to deliver you and if you just make peace with us if you make peace with assyria then uh, everything's gonna be okay for you you'll be able to carry on living and but he does say we'll we'll take you to another land just as good as this one but but um but you're gonna but you'll be able to live this is a really challenging thing because the rap shaker comes through and just like you said earlier, Matt, some of what he's saying is true. Mm-hmm. And that makes it more complicated. See, because if he just came through and everything he said was obviously a lie, it'd be easy for the people in Israel to say, like, obviously he's lying. But what happens is he comes through and a lot of what he says is true. He mm-hmm. says, God sent me to uh, punish you. Well, okay. We've been reading through Isaiah over and over and over that God says, I'm going to send someone to punish you. Like, okay, that part is true. And the Reb Shek says, those other gods, um, they didn't save those people. Yeah, that part is true. But then he says, the Reb Shek is saying, you're worshiping God wrong. 
yeah, you're worshiping, but you're doing it wrong. And that is a challenge. I mean, come on, you can't get on social media. You, you, can't, you can't look at the history of the Christian church throughout the ages and come up, come, come up with no examples of one group of believers saying to the other group of believers, you're doing it wrong. Mm. Right? This just mm. has always been going on. And that doesn't mean it makes it confusing, but it doesn't mean that there is no right way to do this, right? Because God has revealed this is how you do this, and this is how you don't do this. And in this case, is you don't do this through idols. You don't do this through the sacrifice of um, your children. You 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 know you have the Levites. We have the offerings and sacrifices. This is how this goes down, not the other way. And so the people are really kind of stripped bare of all of these conflicting well this is how you worship god well this is how you worship god and they have to say well we're going to have to get back to the bare roots of how god asked us to worship him and to trust in him we're going to have to really lean on this and it's that's all they've got yeah well we've already spoken a bit here to some of the message that the reb shaker was giving them was basically don't believe that your god is going to deliver you because the other gods around you, they certainly haven't delivered their people. Now to Hezekiah's credit, and I think this might be why Judah lasts a bit longer than than um, Israel, Hezekiah, his response is to go to Isaiah to ask him to pray. Yeah, Hez- Hezekiah really is, I think he's doing a pretty good job of really trying to lean on God through this whole thing. Yeah. He, he, he's not, um, yeah, I mean, they're trying to make these alliances with these other countries. And I suppose to some degree, that's a responsible, uh, thing to try to do, but he's really showing that, that his reliance is not on like Egypt, but his reliance is on God. And so he goes to Isaiah. Now, the interesting part of that to me is the, you know, feeling the need to go to let's, you know, going to clergy, hey, will you pray for me? Uh, Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong in asking other people to pray for you. Uh, Interesting to me, though, that Hezekiah, or at least it's not written down here, that Hezekiah isn't simply praying to God himself, but sort of seems to be the way that things were at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Isaiah's not really a priest. I mean, he's, but he is certainly somebody who has been speaking on God's behalf. And and so it's uh, it, it's really to Hezekiah's credit that his his response is to turn to God, yep. and then Isaiah's Isaiah's response is essentially it's like well uh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Sennacherib's going to die by the sword in his own land. I mean I mean that's a pretty specific little prediction yeah. there. You know, I mean, I, I'm assuming here that Sennacherib, well, I don't know if he's here at Jerusalem or not, but still, the, he's going to get taken care of. Don't worry about it, um, which is, I mean, if you if you know that you're being told by God, don't worry about it. That's pretty cool. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, but uh, that's not the end of it for Sennacherib. He, he, he keeps lay, uh, leaning into it. The Reb Shaker returns. Uh, to Assyria, and he finds that Sennacherib is warring against Libna, and he's being threatened by Ethiopia. And Sennacherib, he sends another message back to Hezekiah again. He's like, don't let 
your God deceive you. Yeah, this guy's really got a bit of an ego, I think. <laughs> of course, I don't know. It's, it, it, again, it, it always amazes me the way that the people of the time, the surrounding nations, would react to Israel's God, assuming that all of the stories had been around about the deliverance from Egypt. And I know we're we're quite a ways away from that now, several hundred years at this point. So, may, you know, several generations. Yeah, I, went, but, I actually went and looked up um, in my timeline Bible. All of these chapters that we're reading today took place between 713 and 710 B.C. Because when I yeah. read that, I was like, OK, where are we at in the history here? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And, you know, I mean, he he's he's leaning into this. Don't trust on your God because all none of the other gods have saved you. But I mean, we're. I mean, I don't know of any stories of of the other gods saving their people from anything ever, you know. No, but it was it was it was kind of the the um, the theology of the day that if people A went and battled uh, with people B, whoever won, their god was superior. I mean, this yeah. goes back to, to to David going out and challenging Goliath. He's like, "Hey, you're you're throwing down against God, not against." Um, these, you know, people of, of uh, Israel, and you, you can't be doing that. And so this was kind of God versus God. This goes all the way back to Egypt when, when Moses is saying, you can't be doing this, and then the plagues show up, and those plagues are, you know, a poke in the eye of the Egyptian gods. This isn't just about rescuing the people of Israel. It is also about saying, oh, and oh, by the way, those other gods that you worshiped, they're not cutting it. So yeah. we have not only a political and a military thing going on with the Rob Shaka here. He's saying, yeah, your God can't, your God can't handle this. Mm -hmm. Now, Hezekiah, once again, when he gets this message, now he does go, we, we do get it told us he goes himself. He goes to the temple and, and prays about it. He, I, it's kind of cool. Cause it's like he, he lay lays the letter out. This is a letter that was delivered to him from the king of Assyria. And he basically just lays the letter out in front of God. And he's like, what? here you go, God. Um, and I like a lot of the wording that he puts here. He, he's like, you alone, you are God. You have made heaven and earth. And he's, he says, save us so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. I, I just really love the way that he constantly leans into God on this. And he's kind of getting something here that that we need to remember as well. And that is that there is only one God because because Sennacherib keeps putting this thing in there. He's like, those gods haven't saved their people. Those gods haven't saved their people. What about your God? And Hezekiah is there's only one. The reason their God didn't save them is because their God is a piece of wood. Their God is a hunk of metal. Yeah. They, you know, that's something that they carved out of their own hands. But we are worshiping the one, the true God, the only God, the one that created heaven, the one that created earth. And of course, those other gods didn't do anything. So God, stand up and let everybody know that you are the one and only God by saving us. So God answers. He starts speaking through Isaiah. And I love this. Be, because you have prayed to me. Yep. 
Yep. And that's been the message that God has been given for so long. He's like, yep. just come to me, just come to me. And now because, because you came to me, because you came to me, I'm going to make some stuff happen here. And then he kind of, the, the message sort of shifts towards Sennacherib. You have blasphemed the Holy One of Israel. Man, I mean, he really, he really has. I mean, boy, oh boy, did he ever, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't think your God can save you type of thing. Uh, you've, you've blasphemed against the Holy One of Israel. Uh, you think your military might is going to bring glory over creation. But didn't you hear that I'm the one who made the world? So, see, this is kind of going back to what I've been talking about all this time. All these people have been hearing these stories of this God of Israel. They know. They know this stuff. They've heard this stuff. Granted, I mean, they maybe aren't in the position that Israel has been in. But it's like everybody knows that there is this belief that God created the world. I don't know exactly what these other gods were really known for. Usually, you know, like those other gods I talked about earlier, they were like gods of the sky. And it seems like usually these these other these other gods were like fairly local. They were gods of some particular thing. But I don't know of too many I don't know of too many of those other uh, uh, religions where they had they had this belief of a god who made everything. It usually seems like in these other religions, they're gods of things that sort of already exist, you know. And and God is like, didn't you hear how I made the world? And, and, and he says, you know what, you you've conquered all these cities. But that's only because I made it so that you could do it. Yeah. Yep. I. I, God, made it so that they could do it. I made it so, so, so when you went to conquer them, those people really didn't have much power over you because, because I decided that you were going to be able to do this. <laughs> and I love it, love, love it. Uh, you get into verse 28. Oh. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. 26. Yeah, go ahead. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the, that's the that's the crux that's the crux of this particular um con- uh conflict and that is the crux of this galactic cosmic uh conflict that we've been having i mean here it's between like god and sennacherib but the big story is god and satan over the universe yeah. you know where satan's like oh i could do it just as good as you i could i could rise up and have power and this and that and god is like over what i made it all i made it so that you do everything that you do you you don't have any power that i never get that i didn't give you right this is the practical embodiment of what we've been reading the last few weeks in in hosea it's like as the spouse you go and you get the woman and you marry her and you create, you give her all of these things and you meet all of her needs and she takes all of the good things that you give her and she turns and hands them out to other people and thinks that she owns them. No, they came from you. The created will never be the creator. Mm-hmm. You just, we just can't cross that line. Even Lucifer in all of his glory could not cross that line. Yeah, they tried. And humans try it all the time, all the time. 
and it's oh you know it's just i don't know how i don't know how you how you do that if ha- having heard the stories of god's ability to create and to well i mean allow things to be destroyed as well well i love his response to sennacherib in verses 28 and 29 28 is awesome yeah he says but i know where you are and yeah. where when you come and go and how you rage against me because mm-hmm. you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I've heard what you've heard said about me, and I know where you live. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it is an awesome, awesome response. And Sennacherib should be shaking in his boots. Really should be. I don't know if he was, but, uh, <laughs> man. But, There's an old country song that says, "If you if you want to make God hear God laugh, tell him your plans." Right? <laughs> that's Sennacherib up here. Like he's been thinking that he won all these battles because he was so strong and mighty, and God is basically telling him, "No, you've you've been my tool, and now you don't get to do this. Now's mm-hmm. not your moment. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. people you reduce to dust and rubble. These people you don't do that to. I'm going to turn you around and send you home." Which is an interesting thing that happens. This this whole thing is paralleled in Second Kings 19. We get some different details there and some different details here. For Sennacherib to have died in battle would have been somewhat honorable. But that's not how it turns out here. And I think we point out again that when God comes to the aid of his people, he does it, he does it his own way. You know, when when he sends the children of Israel in, he's like, okay, well, this time you march around the city. This time you send this many people. This time you send the singers first. This time you just wait and watch. This time it's this not a formula. God says, I, I'm going to do things my way, and your job is to trust me. You know, I think it was um, Elisha. He was in a city surrounded by um, other soldiers, and in that case, it's, well, let's just do something different here. We'll just strike them all blind. And then he leads him away to the other king. And here God does something again. Are we ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's pretty interesting because because God basically he's just told he's told he has promised is uh, sorry. He's promised Judah and Jerusalem at this point that the king of Syria is not going to come into Jerusalem and God is going to defend the city. And he sends God sends the angel of the Lord into the Assyrian camp and kills 185,000 of the troops. And the people get up the next morning and there's just bodies everywhere. And uh, Sennacher basically turns around and goes home. Is he admitting defeat at this point? I sort of just sounds like maybe he is like realizing, Ooh, I am not going to do well here, but he goes home and he begins, he goes into the temple of his God. What was his name? Nisroch, I think is what it was. And as he is worshiping his God, his own sons come in and kill him. Hack, I don't know, hack him down with the sword, just like God said. Do you, you're going to die in, how did they put it? You're going to die in, uh, he, he's going to die by the sword in his own land. And like you're saying, he, he doesn't get any glory out of this. Uh, Eric, you were saying that there's no glory out of this. It's really uh, a pretty demeaning death, if you ask me. And it's shown a lot here. It's shown, I think to me, it shows that, well, this uh, Nisroch obviously isn't protecting uh, Sennacherib. 
Um, it's showing that Sennacherib really doesn't even have any power in his own land because his own kids kill him. It's very, it's very interesting how, how he just gets the rug pulled out from underneath him here. And so all the people are going to see his own people are going to see that, well, Sennacherib, uh, his, his legacy is done. The Israelites, I'm calling the Israelites that there's, there's still children of Israel. Uh, they're seeing that, yeah. He obviously didn't have power, and exactly what God said is going to happen is what happened. It's an interesting way for this conflict to end. Yeah, it almost ends with, I mean, if this were a movie, it would be totally different, because we've had chapter after chapter of of this posing and this, like, uh, 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 your God can't save you, and you're doing religion wrong, and... God saying, nope, I'm, I'm going to be with you. There will be some vengeance that will happen here. And then the battle scene is it's one line. That's it. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's no slow-mo and there's no, you know, amazing sequence. There's, there's no action cam here. It's just the angel, that's singular, of mm-hmm. the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians one night. One angel, this is not a hallmark baby with a bow and arrow here. Mm-hmm. This is something on the scale of which we need to be careful as we talk about this. This is the Lord, Yahweh, saying, yeah, I will go out and I'll send somebody to take care of business. And he does. Mm-hmm. And to, to your point, Matt, is that, that all this posturing and this, yeah, what are you going to do, God of Israel? Well, as as kids would say today, oh snap! You know, <laughs> this is this is what happens. I mean, Sennacherib ends up. You couldn't really have a worse ending for him. His God doesn't protect him. His family doesn't protect him. His his he comes home. He leaves with a huge army, and he comes home with nothing. It's pretty definitive. It's they walk out on the field, and one team's been talking smack to the other, and as they walk off the field, the only thing left is the quarterback. And he's lost 96 to zero and the quarterback gets hit by a truck on his way to the car. It's just like, well, that's as over as it gets. You know, this idea of God sending the angel of the Lord. And I I don't know exactly what that means. You know, is it a specific angel? We've talked many times about how that word angel just means messenger. You know, did he send, did he send a specific someone like Gabriel maybe to do this? Um, was this God himself going through the camp and, and, and taking care of business? We, we get a concept in our heads. Sometimes people are like, okay, God's looking for a reason to smite. And then other times it's, well, God allows consequences to take their course of action. This is one of those, this is one of those times where it seems like God himself is doing the smiting. Um, so, so. Um, I mean, I tend to usually think that God's judgment comes in allowing things to take their course according to the way that God created the universe. And that when he pulls his protection back and sinners are dealt with, that usually it's just kind of this natural consequence. But it seems like there are times when God does actively go in and clean up. Yep. So, you know, don't don't uh, don't go away thinking that God is, um, you know, some mamby pamby guy who's not doing anything. But at the same time, you know, 
don't think that he's just looking for reasons to to take you down. But we have ample warning here. This this yeah this yep this whole showdown was a whole lot of back and forth. There was, you know, not only that, but remember, Sennacherib was called away to a different battle. He left, and then Sennacherib came back for it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, he, he could have just stayed home and said, you know, actually, on second thought, there's that God who did all those things. I'm like, I'm just going to just stay home. But he doesn't. He comes back. Yeah. He says, watch this. And God says, all right, all right, you. All right, let's do this. Yeah. So it is. It's an interesting. It's an interesting end to Sennacherib. It's an interesting uh, resolution of this conflict that we've been seeing and we've been warned about. And, I mean, Jerusalem isn't out of the woods. I mean, we know, we know, having read the book before, that that there there is still judgment coming on Jerusalem and they're going to have their more to deal with. Um, but they're getting a little bit of a reprieve here. And it seems like largely it's thanks to Hezekiah's reliance on God and being a good example for his people remembering to lean on god not to lean on his own military might not to lean on the 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 uh, the abilities of the nations around him and to just to just to remember who is in charge and, and uh, do what god has been asking them to do all along and so it'll be interesting to see where we go because we're not done with isaiah and uh it's i've been i've been very interested to see just how prominent Isaiah is in this, all of this discussion of, of what is happening to the children of Israel and those nations and all of the warnings. And so it's going to be interesting going forward, seeing how it is, because we're going to still be in Isaiah for a few weeks here. Well, I personally am getting huge, huge applications in modern day. Yeah. Just- you know, don't get distracted. That thing in front of you that looks like a solution isn't a solution unless God says it's a solution. Like, mm-hmm. make sure, just I just I'm continually like this this, and it's probably the summary effect of reading the you know hundreds and hundreds of years of God trying to get this nation's attention. But when it's summarized like that, this the sort of sweep is. Come on, guys, pay attention. I'm over here. No, we want to do it our way. Pay attention. I'm over here. No, we want to do it our way. And it's like, it's a good reminder for me to just always always turn and check. Don't leap into action. Don't form hasty opinions. Wait. Use my discernment. Pray for the Holy Spirit to help. Make sure I'm oriented to God. Don't get distracted by the human solutions that leap up in front of you ready to go. Pick me and I'll answer all your needs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's been good for me that way. Oh, me too. Me too. Uh, I, I, I just hope I can go forward because I, I am one who I can at times uh, jump on, like you say, jump onto those solutions thinking this has got to be the thing, you know, and. And you jump, and usually it's based on some personal uh, scenario that I've created in my head, and I my my own personal sense of justice or whatever. And I I I jump and I snap and I, you know, yell at the wrong person or something along those lines. And if, uh, oh, if man, I can't even imagine, oh, that's only because you're always nice to me. You you never make fun of me. You never poke at me. Oh. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. But no, I'm with you there. Absolutely with you there. It has been it's been so interesting to see how there's so much present day application to the things that Isaiah was saying to Jerusalem and to Israel and and to all these uh, all these surrounding nations. Human nature hasn't changed much. No, no, it has not. Has not. All right. Well, I think next week, tentatively speaking, I am going to say let's look at chapters 38 through 43 of Isaiah. And I'm only saying that by looking at a chart. I don't know exactly how things play out in there. But I think what we'll do is we'll look at Isaiah chapters 38 through 43 for the coming week. Isaiah 40 is one of my favorites. I'm excited. Okay, we're going to expect good things out of you then, Karen. Oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> while you're waiting for that remember that you can reach out to us at ATTB podcast at theadventure.org look for us on Facebook please be sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family and be sure you subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in your feed each and every week and we look forward to talking to you again next week thanks for listening thanks for listening